Our next storyteller. Next storyteller. Your next storyteller. Our next storyteller. Hello and welcome to The Narrators. This podcast collects stories from our live events where people share true stories based on a theme. Your next storyteller is an Enneagram type one who says he's obsessed with stories about extremists. Longtime supporter of the show, this is my friend Jacob McWilliams. Jake shared this story on September 18th, 2019. The theme of the evening was tools. Okay, so uh, when I was a young adult, I didn't have a lot of tools for making sense of my life as I was experiencing it. Um, And I found myself making a lot of like super weird choices that I didn't realize were weird at the time looking back now. I'm like, why was I doing that? Um, And I was doing things like I was like moving out to moving into new apartments all the time. Like every couple of months I would break a lease and move into a similarly priced apartment for some reason. And I think I was doing that because I was just like so impatient all the time. Like, and I don't even know what I was impatient for. I just wanted the thing to happen. And so I was making these like weird choices. Um, I also was making weird dating choices. I had a specific type that I dated. Um, and to understand this, you have to see me. But re- I, at that point, I identified as female. So it was like me, but with long hair and makeup. Um, and my type was ex-Marines with masculinity issues. Uh, <laughs> that was my type over and over. And I, I have the tools now to understand what was going on for me then, that I was struggling with my own gender stuff. But at the time, I was just like, why isn't this working? Um, <laughs> and I also have the tools now uh, that feminism have given me, um, has given me um, to understand toxic masculinity and the impact that toxic masculinity can have on men and the people who date them. But at the time, I just was like, not, not there yet. Um, so I met this one guy who ended up being very much my type. I was working at a bookstore at the time and he came in to buy a book, which was a thing you could do back then. Um, and he had a really great smile and he was super charming and funny. And I just like, I just thought he was fantastic. And I gave him my phone number to my landline. This is back in the nineties. Um, and he left and from the parking lot, he called the bookstore, um, and asked to talk to me and said, I I don't want to wait can you meet me after work today? And I, that was my kind of impatience. So that was the start of what ended up being a, a sort of bumpy relationship, but one that I learned a lot from. Um, so he was, this guy was my type. He was an ex-Marine. And his brand of masculinity issues, I think, came from his parents, who, um, who married when they were in high school and were still happily married and were devout Christians. And I think he had felt a lot of pressure Um, to live up to the standard that they had set for him. And as he was getting older and as he was um, struggling with his own life, he was finding it hard to to make sense of things, um, given what he had grown up in. Um, But I didn't understand that at the time. I just thought he was like, sort of like flaky. He would like not return phone calls for days or weeks sometimes. He would like just like wouldn't commit to things, wouldn't commit to me. Um, he was super impulsive. He would like just, I was living in Michigan at the time and he would just like take off from Michigan, go up to Alaska, uh, work on a fishing boat for a couple of months and then like show back up and want to start right where things had left off all the time, which I totally did because didn't have the tools that I have now. Um, so he, he was like a really complicated person, but at the same time, I felt like I, I grew a lot and I learned a lot from that relationship. Um, I started to try to conquer my lifelong fear of motorcycles. 
uh, he drove a motorcycle and that was how we got around town. So it was either ride the motorcycle or not. And so I did. Uh, and I felt really proud of that because I was really fear driven at that time. Um, I, I, he was the first person I dated that I came out to as queer. So that was a pretty big deal. Um, and this, this is like a super small thing, but it was so important to me at the time. Um, he, one time he made me craft mac and cheese for dinner, like out of the box. And he took a can of diced tomatoes and poured it into the mac and cheese. And it was really good. And, but, that, but the point is that that was the first time in my life that I realized you could take something that was prepackaged for you and modify it to make it work better for you. And that's something that I've... <laughs> Huh. <laughs> um, that's something that I've carried with me my entire life. So that was a really important moment for me. Um, but it was, again, it was, it was a really bumpy relationship. Um, one of the times he took off to Alaska and, and came back, um, he was staying at my apartment. I think he, he hadn't told his family that he was back in town. Um, and he was like, I was working two jobs at the time. So I was like, Oh, and I had just moved into somebody's basement efficiency apartment that I was subleasing for like two months. So for some reason, and it had no furniture. There was just a bed and like a landline, a phone on the floor connected to the land. Um, and, and that was all I had in that apartment. And he was staying there for, I think it was a couple of weeks. Hadn't told anybody else he was in town. And he like kept the curtains closed all the time and just sat on the bed and read most of the time or something, I don't know. Um, and I have the tools now to understand that he was probably struggling with some mental health issues. And at the time, I just felt super impatient. And I was like working two jobs and like had to, I only had one key. So we had to keep switching it off. And it was like really annoying. And I was at I was I was working at the bookstore closing at the bookstore. So working till like 11. And then I had my other job started at 6am the next morning. So I was like closing at the bookstore. And this guy comes in to he had apparently left the apartment that day and he had to get the key to get back in. So he took the key from me and I was just like so annoyed with him. And I just told him to go cause I wanted to just finish my job. Um, and like everything was making me so impatient. Like somebody had called in sick that day. So I was doing their job and my job and I really wanted to get out and go to get out of the, the bookstore and go to bed because I was tired and like we, we got the store closed and someone had to go back in to get something and we all had to wait for them. And then like, there was this like stoplight right outside of the bookstore. These are all like tiny things I know now, but at the time I was like, everything is wrong. And there was like a stoplight outside of the bookstore that was like super backed up. It was like three or four cycles before I could get through the stoplight. And I was like so mad. I remember being so mad and like, and I was driving home and this was a new apartment for me. So I wasn't super familiar with the neighborhood yet. And there was like a like a police blockade on part of the street. So I had to like take a detour and I got lost. And then I got back to my apartment and he wasn't there. And I didn't have a key to get in because I had given it to him. And so the only tool that I did have that I can tell you about in this story was the tool that helped me pry open the window, <laughs> climb in through the window, left him a voicemail to get the key back to me tomorrow and went to sleep. Um, and by the middle of the next day, when I hadn't heard from him yet, I was starting to get worried because it wasn't super unusual to not hear from him, but it was a little bit surprising. Hadn't heard anything. Um, got done with work with that job and got, went back to my apartment who still wasn't there. So I had to climb back in through the window again and like picture me like basement apartment, climbing in through a window where everyone can see me. Um, and I get in my apartment, and there's a message on my answering machine, and it's from this guy's parents asking me to call them. 
So I do. And there's not a lot that I remember very clearly from this time in my life, but I have a super crystal clear memory of talking to Spencer's dad on the phone. And he said, uh, Spencer got in a car accident last night. And I said, how's he doing? And his dad said, um, come to our house and we'll talk about it when you get there. And I said, no, you, you just need to tell me. You just need to tell me. And he said, and I just remember really clearly how his voice broke when he said Spencer didn't make it. Um, and what I pieced together later was the police blockade that I had passed the night before was the scene of the accident. He had a, a drunk driver had hit another van and sent it careening across the median and Spencer was in his motorcycle um, and he, he collided head, head first with the van and the collision caused his aorta to burst and he died within minutes. Um, and uh, there were groceries on the back of the motorcycle and among the groceries were a box of Kraft mac and cheese and diced tomatoes. Um, and I have the tools now to understand what that story meant to me. Um, one of the tools that I have is uh, the benefit of time. It's been more than half of my life since that happened. Um, so while it was super painful while it was happening, and it's still painful to recount today, it's not like it was back then. Um, and I think the other tool that I have now is just sort of the ability to tell and retell this story until I get it to a place where it has the meaning to me that I need it to have to me now. Um, and this is actually the first time I've ever told this story, so I'm really glad that you all were willing to come along with me on it. Thanks a lot for your time. Narrators is produced by me, Ron Doyle, Sydney Crane, and Aaron Rollman, with help from Karen Wachtel, Jesse Witten, and Scott Carney. Karen edited this episode. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Bumport Theatre Company, Illegal Pete's, From the Photo, and Great Divide Brewing Company. Our theme music is by Whalehawk, and we'd also like to thank Megagem, who provided the outro music you're listening to right now. If you're in Denver, join us for one of our live monthly shows, which take place every third Wednesday of the month at Bumport Theatre in Denver, Colorado. You can subscribe to this podcast for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and all the usual places where people get podcasts. Please rate and review us. It really helps other people find these stories. For more information about today's storyteller or the narrators, check the show notes for this episode or visit thenarrators.org. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.